one of Jimmy Le- Levy's most uh, favorite songs for me, <laughs> okay? Because in that song, he describes how he is fearless. And so there is a lot of nothing going around. All these years, what you need to know has been put out. What is necessary to understand the dynamic you already have, you have everything you need. The one thing that people have not realized is that while they're sharing memes, while they're complaining, while they're digging into different aspects and focusing on those different aspects, they're missing the actual war. And so today, I'm going to demonstrate to you what the war is and how the setup has been done. I was going to get into uh, the, uh, I want to say get into the weeds of it, but I need not. What I believe everyone requires at this point is some clarity. And the way I can demonstrate this clarity so that you can take that 40,000 foot view. You know, a lot of people say, this is a spiritual war. It's good versus evil. Save the children. That's all you're focusing on. You see, you're missing it. Okay. So you save 10 kids. That's 10 kids more than were saved, but they're going to take 10,000 more because you lost the war. There was once this atheist. He had long conversations. He was a radio broadcaster, complete atheist, until one day he met another guy and they started talking. And they started talking and they had this conversation. And, oh boy, the conversation was so extraordinary that this guy realized what God is. And then he wrote these phantasmical books. (laughs) And you're going to be today years old for a lot of you that are going to realize that this was the most in-depth demonstration of the history of this experiment. Compassion. Clarity. All of that can occur in someone when they can avoid temptation. Now, I am victim of being tempted many, many times. So are you. So, while everyone wants to be right, I would hope that all of us can be right on the right page together. And understand that if we take head on the real war, well then, everything else that you talk about, your borders, your freedoms, the children, the lawlessness, 
the Sodom and Gomorrah that happens at your doorstep, well, that all gets cured. But you have to take it head on. You know, (laughs) again, walking you, just so that you understand, uh, all institutions have died. The institutions that we all had faith in. Education, our churches, our temples, our, you know, dummies, whatever it is that you had faith in, they have either died or are failing. And the way that you resurrect them is by challenging them. Yes. The education, the institution of education, well, cannot be challenged. There was a famous quote, and we're going to talk about this person today a little bit, by C.S. Lewis. I say this a lot because a lot of people, uh, you know, fail to hear and see. Some people simply listen to President Trump's voice and they start to go nuts. Bible thumpers loathe that we speak of a God of compassion when he should be feared. Influencers loathe someone who isn't dripping in jewels and standing on platforms to have more influence than them. C.S. Lewis had said it best. His famous quote, oh, and I'm trying to remember, and I don't even have the book to hand. I should get it. Um, but he said, what you see and what you hear depends on where you are standing and what sort of person you are. Let that sink in a bit. What you see and what you hear depends on where you're standing and what sort of person you are. Therefore, what you see and hear today is how you interpret it from where you stand and what kind of person you are. Eyes to see. Ears to hear. Are all under your control. What is your intention when you are hearing something? What is your intention when you are seeing something? What is it that you see? What is your perspective? It's all shaped by you. Today, there are people so thirsty for knowledge so thirsty for spiritual guidance, so thirsty for stability that they will go anywhere that can even temporarily quench their thirst. It's kind of like if you're in a place and you're thirsty for water, but there is no water. You'll take a beer 
or wine to quench you temporarily, but you will never be satisfied. And therefore, you will constantly be on a mission (laughs) to get that thirst quenched. When children leave high school and they go to university, most of them should be thirsty for knowledge. What information can I gather to do something? That was what the intention of university was, right? To be thirsty for that knowledge, to want it, to want to make change, to foster a longing that you want and a placement in society that you seek. That's no longer the case. In the 80s, that was changed to once you're done with high school, you must get a degree and then you can get a cubicle. So it was part of the whole process of becoming an adult. And during that process, that's when you're going to get severely drunk. That's where you're going to have sex with strangers. That's when you're going to test drugs. That's when you're going to have the time of your life. And boom, that thirst no longer exists. The church, the temple, Jami, all of those places were supposed to quench the thirst and foster spiritual health, just like universities are supposed to foster young minds and challenge them to want to create a better society. Many will argue with that concept, but it is what it is. Many will say, no, 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 no. But I'll tell you what. Was this nation, was this nation founded on Christian values? This is a question. Was this nation founded on Christian values? There are many that are going to tell you no. And then there are many that will tell you yes. Oh. I think there's this video from Act 17 Apologetics that I want to share with you that kind of goes through all the questions of yay, nay, say of why the United States is a Christian nation. Pretty cool. Let's go. People often claim that the United States of America is a Christian nation. This claim may be true or false depending on what they mean. If they mean that the United States is a Christian nation because most of its citizens consider themselves Christians of one sort or another, this would be true. But it's contingently true. If beliefs happen to change in the coming decades, the United States would no longer be a Christian nation in this sense. A more common meaning is that the United States was founded on certain principles that were ultimately derived from Christianity. This is also true, and it's not something that can change. If the entire population of the United States became atheists tomorrow, it would still be the case that the United States was founded on certain principles that were ultimately derived from Christianity. 
But there's a deeper sense in which the United States is a Christian nation, a sense in which the United States can only be the United States if it's sustained by Christian teachings and values. This will seem odd to you if you're not a Christian, and perhaps even if you are a Christian, so let me explain. In the Declaration of Independence, the men who would eventually be called the Founding Fathers laid out their reasons for breaking ties with Great Britain. They declared, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Throughout the rest of the Declaration, they describe the characteristics of a government that tramples on people's God-given rights, a government that undermines liberty or the pursuit of happiness is a tyranny. The primary goal of the framers of the U.S. Constitution was to prevent the new nation from becoming a tyranny. The point of having three branches of government with a system of checks and balances was to keep any particular group from ever having the power to control the government. The division between federal law and state law was meant to keep the federal government from tyrannizing the states. The purpose of the Bill of Rights was to further protect citizens from being tyrannized by the government and to guarantee their ability to rise up if the government ever did become a tyranny. But the Founding Fathers weren't just concerned about a single person becoming a tyrant. A majority of the population can form a tyranny over a minority of the population. Thus, they regularly warned of the tyranny of the one, the tyranny of the few, and the tyranny of the many. John Adams wrote, The right of a nation to kill a tyrant in cases of necessity can no more be doubted than to hang a robber or kill a flea. But killing one tyrant only makes way for worse, unless the people have sense, spirit, and honesty enough to establish and support a constitution guarded at all points against the tyranny of the one, the few, and the many. James Madison added, The accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary, in the same hands, whether of one, a few, or many, and whether hereditary, self-appointed, or elective, may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. Since most people today think that democracy is the surest defense against tyranny, we may wonder why there was an emphasis on guarding against the tyranny of the many, or even an elected tyranny. This concern about tyranny arising from democracy goes back thousands of years to the time of Plato. In the Republic, Plato, through his character Socrates, argues that in a democracy, since the people themselves make the laws, they'll use the laws to satisfy their desires and their desires will become increasingly centered around physical pleasures instead of what's really good for themselves or for society. Socrates says, Isn't democracy's insatiable desire for what it defines as the good also what destroys it? Adamantus replies, 
what do you think it defines as the good? Socrates answers, freedom. Surely you'd hear a democratic city say that this is the finest thing it has, so that as a result it is the only city worth living in for someone who is by nature free. Yes, Adeimantus agrees. You often hear that. Then, continues Socrates, as I was about to say, doesn't the insatiable desire for freedom and the neglect of other things change this constitution and put it in need of a dictatorship? In what way? asks Adeimantus. Socrates responds, I suppose that when a democratic city, a thirst for freedom, happens to get bad cupbearers for its leaders so that it gets drunk by drinking more than it should of the unmixed wine of freedom, then, unless the rulers are very pliable and provide plenty of that freedom, they are punished by the city and accused of being accursed oligarchs. So, leaders who tell people what's really good for them won't be tolerated. The population will only vote for leaders who promise to give them what they want. The problem is that people have competing desires and, according to Socrates, this leads to a struggle between classes. Different groups select different leaders as their champions to satisfy their group's desires. But people change their minds so quickly about what they want that the leaders soon realize that the only way to remain in power is to crush all opposition. The leaders of a democracy, whether there's one leader or a few leaders or a majority in power, thus transform into tyrants. And those who aren't tyrants become slaves to the will of the tyrants. As other philosophers have pointed out, once the divisions in society destroy stability, people will submit to the tyrant, if only to add some level of stability. As Eric Hoffer said, when freedom destroys order, the yearning for order will destroy freedom. Hoffer echoes Socrates, who proclaimed, extreme freedom can't be expected to lead to anything but a change to extreme slavery. If Socrates, or at least Plato's version of him, is right, we may wonder, why have democracies like the United States lasted for centuries without becoming tyrannies? The Founding Fathers agreed with Socrates that the unchecked pursuit of pleasure would inevitably lead to tyranny. This is one version of what they called the tyranny of the many. But they also understood that if there's something within people that helps regulate and moderate their desires, a democracy can thrive. John Adams wrote, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, and licentiousness would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. The government, according to Adams, simply cannot contend with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Why? Because our government is a democracy and people with no self-control will vote for leaders who promise to grant them their heart's desires. And this is the path to tyranny. So, the United States can only remain the United States so long as its citizens remain a moral and religious people. The path to tyranny therefore begins when people start showing contempt for morality and religion 
and throw off the values that are grounded in the life and work of Jesus Christ. In case all of this seems merely theoretical, or in case you're thinking that it's better for society to break ties with religion, I invite you to look around. Don't you see the divisions becoming wider and wider, and groups becoming progressively more hostile to one another? Aren't the different factions putting forward their champions who promise to give them what they want and to crush the opposition? Aren't tyrannies forming all around us, on college campuses, in the media, and even on the streets? As Francis Schaeffer wrote four decades ago, overwhelming pressures are being brought to bear on people who have no absolutes, but only have the impoverished values of personal peace and prosperity. The pressures are progressively preparing modern people to accept a manipulative, authoritarian government. The general anxiety on all sides shows that we can already feel the tyranny coming. Schaefer continues, In such circumstances, it seems that there are only two alternatives in the natural flow of events. First, imposed order, or second, our society once again affirming that base which gave freedom without chaos in the first place, God's revelation in the Bible and his revelation through Jesus Christ. So, why is the United States a Christian nation? It's a Christian nation because the alternative is tyranny. And a tyranny, whether of the one, the few, or the many, just wouldn't be the United States of America. My heart is so heavy, and I'll tell you why. Today I had a conversation with someone that many would consider important, and that someone urged me. Well, <coughs> this was a face-to-face -face conversation, and this person, of course, I respect but I realized just how hard it is to be tempted. And the question that I was asked, and you know, believe it or not, someone actually DM'd me on Telegram asking me the same thing, but in another way. And just an average person. He said, Tori, this is big. And you have reach. I know a lot of people pretend you don't, but you do. I need you to mobilize people. I need you to make them do this. I need you to. And I put my hand up and I kid you not, I started crying. Maybe because I was like a little bit emotional that it came at me the way it did. And I was sad. Sad because. People still don't get it. I, I know that many that have their platforms tell people, you need to go there and go do this and do that. And Oh, but you've had them write letters. <laughs> no, I wrote a letter and I'm like, yo, you can take this letter and you should write it. And then they came up with their own letters. That's how uh, you convey information. You educate and they need someone to jump in first. I don't tell people what to do. If you tell people what to do, you're no different than the rest of the tyrants. Well, then how come they listen to you? 
I mean, your shows aren't even properly produced. I don't get it. And I said, it all has to do with the origination of everything. And it's all how we vibrate. And so the person's just like, oh, are we getting it? And I said, man, you're supposed to be of faith. Are you kidding? So then I thought to myself, what better way to demonstrate this as to show you an atheist who then turned around and became a Christian and demonstrated exactly that. There was a show that Frank did, quite frankly, about, you know, words and how it's called spelling because you, um, you put on spells. And uh, what people don't seem to, to um, fathom is that the songs they sing, and this was a conversation I had yesterday pre our face-to-face conversation today. This is why I said, hey, did you know that when you were dancing the electric slide at your church, that the song was about vibrator? Mm -hmm. The electric slide? All about a vibrator, right? And your pastors had all the kids dancing to it. Maybe they didn't know. But the people that did know had a very good laugh. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Words matter. You know, I I say this again and again. I, I remember there was a period of time. It was actually when I got diagnosed that I was home and because I was hardly ever home, always working, (laughs) but I was actually home and uh, Phoebe had to do a science experiment. And I've talked about this before. I've talked about, you know, um, Dr. Moto's uh, experiment about water. And so I had her and I urge you to try this and do, you know, don't, eh, this is hokey. Try it test it, see it. Uh, So I had her um, get three, we had three mason jars and we used the same water and the same rice. And we labeled one good, we labeled one who cares, like neutral and then one bad. So we put one away on a shelf where no one paid attention We had one where we would just say beautiful things around it, right? Just amazing stuff. Like, I love you. And we would think of nice things when we would say it. And then we took another one that I had right by the kitchen sink that everyone would cuss at. Like, you suck. You this. You that. You're horrible. You're this. And, you know, the idea behind that experiment was when you would say that, to your jar of water that held that rice. You need to think of something that upsets you. Like, for example, Phoebe was really, really upset that, you know, in the backyard, uh, the there were like badgers. I don't even remember what they're called. Destroyed her little princess thing. So, hey, Phoebe, focus on that and then cuss at the, you know, like say bad things. You're bad. You're this. Well, I can tell you that at the end of that experiment, you would see that the one that was fostered with love and affection, where we would think of nice things, uh, you know, uh, before we spoke nice words, like, you know, I remember uh, I was trying to find good memories and it really sucks saying that out loud that I have very few things that I can think of that make me happy. Very few on my fingers. One hand, I can count moments that I felt happy. I mean, I used to have more, but they were all fake. So it's one hand. And that jar where it had all the best intentions had no mold, 
Uh, the rice was there and it was just fine. The jar that was neutral was a little bit foggy, uh, a little bit brown, but no big deal. But the one that was getting all the smackdowns was black. And I urge you to try it because words do matter. Definitions matter. But behind the words, see, I can say a bad word. But if my intention behind it is not bad, it doesn't sound bad. You don't receive it as something bad, right? But just like C.S. Lewis said, right, that statement is clear. It's all depending on what you see and what you hear depends on where you are standing and what kind of person you are. So, for example, I call customer service and I'm talking to someone and I'm like, you know, this is fucking bullshit. You know, I'm so tired of it. They'll be like, no, I totally get it. You know, and then you'll get, you know, one customer service person will be like, okay, I totally get it. Another person might be like, I'm offended. I'm going to like totally disconnect right now because you're attacking me. I feel like I'm under attack. See, same statement, two different people that stand in two different places and what kind of people they are, right? The person that says, no, I get it, knows that you're calling customer service and you're upset. And that tells you that that person is understanding and understands, right, what you're going through. The other person doesn't give a shit. They're getting a paycheck and all they want to do is you to be nice to them or else they won't help you. See, same phrase, different people, right? So the intention behind it, your actions and your words matter. You're frustrated. You're going to express frustration. The way the person interprets it is because they decide to. And today, what I'm going to show you, a lot of people are going to be like today years old to see a version of the Bible you've never seen before. You've never seen before. Why? Because your eyes and your ears were not there. But in that version, which has nothing to do with the church, which is another thing we're going to talk about. You see God's words so evident that you can't unsee it. So I'll help you see it. Okay. Now, I have been posting on Telegram like crazy about this war, this war that everyone loves to utter in their lips good versus evil. But people still don't get it, how it's right there. Now, um, it is uh, Holy Tuesday um, for me. And I have to say, uh, you know, in prayer today, and, and not because it is Holy Tuesday today, but because the church says it is. And it reminds me, you know, I kind of look at um, the church and how it. Uh, reenacts uh, events throughout the year as a reminder to reread scriptures. And today being Holy Tuesday, it reminded me that the future coming of our Lord and Savior is something people don't want to talk about. There's a lot of people that do. They tell you about trials and tribulations. They tell you about hellfire. I already told you how that's coming. <laughs> and God didn't do it. 
But it's important for us to realize just what the messages of this Bible is and why the Christians in general are dispersed in different factions. I had a conversation with someone that I admire. Uh, They're a journalist. I admire them. I want to, at some point, have the ability to have more frequent physical contact, not like sexual, right? But like person to person where um, I can, you know, embrace them more uh, because they are so amazing. And this journalist is incredible. Incredible. And you know, we were discussing what we're going to talk about today. And they said, you know, the Pentecostals are just not there. Like, I was shocked. See, the hypocrisy of religion comes through the factions that have been created, right? There are a million different Christian versions. We've got, you know, your Jehovah Witnesses. We've got your Protestants. We've got your, you know, Orthodox. We've got your Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox, Coptics, historical Christians, Ethiopian Orthodox, Roman Catholic, just Catholic, <laughs> right? Uh, we've got, you know, your Pentecostal, your your Pentecostal, your evangelists, you name it, we've got versions, And not only that, we've got versions. One was written by the king, King James himself. Others all changed and done. So many of them. And so a lot of people ask what the difference is. Well, I'll tell you where the difference happened. And I've mentioned this again. It was the creation of the Roman Catholic Church. See, when they could not take hold of the idea of Christ, And the idea that love and respect and having moral foundations is how you remain living in harmony and blossom. They had to take control of that idea. So first they split the church. They made someone holy in, you know, in, you know, the land that was pure man. They've just said, yep, that person is like the, that's like God on earth. There's so many versions. It's ridiculous. So we need to tear it back bare bones, right? And so I start at this one document event. It's not like you're going to believe me if I tell you that they sat down and they discussed how they can control people through religion, how they were going to control people through all of it, how they were going to do it. You're not going to believe that because nobody wrote about it. No one important said But one thing that they understood was that people have something called self-preservation. And people are highly influenced by titles and tiaras, right? People. Those that are adorned in wealth, that have this empire beneath them, that have... 20,000 people screaming their names and putting them in highlights and, and, and dressed in the most beautiful fabrics, dripping jewels, right? It must be someone important because they look amazing. And this is how you take hold of someone's perception. Oh, well, you know, he's a really good pastor. He's super humble in his Lamborghini, on a property that's thousands of acres. 
it's not a problem to have thousands of acres. It's not a problem to have a magnificent house. Boy, if you are doing the Lord's work, you should have everything. You should have the nicest car, the nicest shoes, the nicest, you know why? Because then evil hates that. How dare you have the spoils that I have kept for my servants freely. But before we get into more of that, I'll take you back to that point. And I found this video that explains the difference between the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. I bring this up not to say one religion's better than the other. I don't listen to any churches. You know where my church is? When you and me get together, we break bread, we have coffee, we smoke cigarettes, and we talk about our creator. Right now, what we're doing is church. Okay? That's exactly how it's defined in the Bible, too. You don't need a building. You don't have to have a filed 501c3 or anything. You and me having a conversation is just that. But to be able to dispel and show you so you can see the little inklings of, oh, yeah, okay, that totally makes sense. History does leave some crumbs. They can't eradicate truth in its entirety. It will show some. Right? It will show some. So take a listen to the differences between the two churches. Again, both of them are not perfect. Both of them run on 501c3s. Both of them bent the knee to man-made laws, violating rights given to the people by God. Well, not all of them, right? Not all of them. I know that the historical Christian churches uh, maintain. There's only one church in New York. I think there's two, actually that are giving religious exemptions, <laughs> but you know, they're just not being honored and we're going to get into that. So it's important for us to see where the, the, the split happened because see the only way that you destroy something good is by making it divide. And the more they faction people, ideas, Right? Just like the idea of freedom right now in our nation, you've got a shit ton of groups saying, well, I, I know the truth. This is me. I, I wrote a book about it, right? Or I know the truth. Look at my hair. I look fabulous and I'm so-and-so. So you must listen. Oh, I know the truth because look, I'm hanging out with this guy and I've got tons of pictures. Oh, I know the truth. And it's like, we just need to save the children. We just need to do the border. We just need to do this. We need to stop. We need to say, all right, can all of us get on the same page, please? What can we all find common ground so we can achieve all these goals? And I'm going to show that to you today. It'll be a little bit of an extended show because tomorrow I will not be having a show. I will be traveling tomorrow. But it is important that we park our egos, park our perceptions, and again, do not take this as this is better than the other, right? This is showing you where the dichotomy happened and what happened. I mean, you want to understand the horror of Babylon? Here we go. Probably the biggest and most obvious difference between the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church is that the Orthodox Church doesn't have uh, a Pope figure. So for Roman Catholics, the Pope is not only supreme, that is to say he has immediate jurisdiction in every church in the whole world, uh, but he is also infallible under certain circumstances. The Orthodox Church doesn't agree with either one of those doctrines. We don't see any one bishop 
as being supreme throughout the whole world, nor do we see any of them as being preserved by God infallibly when they speak on faith and morals. Uh, We have essentially a college of bishops, and they make decisions together, and they typically will have a patriarch or a primate with another title maybe who presides at their meetings, but is not the absolute ruler of them all. So for us, all bishops are fundamentally equal. Uh, Even if some might have a little bit more positional authority than others, none of them has this kind of theological place that the Pope does for the Roman Catholic Church. For the Orthodox, kids, our children, are fully included. Roman Catholic children are baptized, um, but they can't fully participate until later on, depending on what it is you're talking about, whether it's communion or or confirmation. Whereas uh, Orthodox Christian babies are fully engaged in the whole life of the congregation sacramentally, and uh, children grow up having received communion from um, their earliest memories because they literally are being communed as, as babies. The Roman Catholic teaching about purgatory and then also the system of indulgences, the Orthodox do not believe in any of that. We don't believe that there is this kind of stopover place where we have to wait and to suffer to have all of the, um, the temporal consequences of sin wiped away and, 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 and paid, paid for. So purgatory and indulgences are simply not part of Orthodox Christian life at all. Not only the, the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s, but then there was this big liturgical revision. There was a big change in the normal worship life of your average Catholic. The Mass was totally changed, and a lot of other things were changed in the worship life as well. But for the Orthodox Church, we never have experienced anything like that. Um, certainly, both East and West experienced liturgical change over the centuries, but typically those changes were very slow. And if there were reforms, they were nothing anywhere near as major as what Catholics experienced in the late 60s and the early 70s. So uh, what, what was the normal Catholic life prior to the 1960s is no longer the normal Catholic life after this period. But for the Orthodox Christian, there's, there's very, very little difference. The question is, for each of us, is really just sort of how much we actually participate in what is the normal Orthodox Christian life. It used to be that Roman Catholics had a a moderately rigorous fasting tradition. Now, largely speaking, the only obligation for most Catholics is that you don't eat meat on Fridays during Lent only. For the Orthodox Christian who's really following what's expected of us, we end up fasting almost half the days of the year. That doesn't mean that all Orthodox Christians are that good at fasting. Some are pretty good at it and some are not so good at it. But nonetheless, the expectations have really not changed very much at all for the Orthodox. Um, Throughout history, we can see some adjustments here and there. But there was a big change in the 20th century for Catholics where fasting was almost almost completely set aside. Uh, So so what you're experiencing in day-to-day life as a Catholic changed um, significantly in terms of what you are expected to eat or, or not to eat. Whereas for the Orthodox, we've never really had that big change. Well, now, as far as the fasting goes, that's just another mode of control for me, as I say. Uh, you know, I do fast, but on my uh, when I feel the need to fast, right? Um, and besides, you know, I think I fast every day except for coffee and cigarettes because they're like yesterday. I didn't eat till after my campaign thing, right? No one would believe that, but I had like a ton of coffee. Right, ton, right? Fasting 
is to kind of help your body uh, purge, right? It's kind of, here's how fasting is. Have you ever had a laptop? Oh, a phone that doesn't work, right? Or a laptop. The way you do it is you unplug it from the electricity and then you hold the power button. So it runs whatever electricity cycle it has left, right? You clear it out. It purges whatever's left over. And then when you plug it in, it's booting and it's working the best. That's how fasting is. And this is why it's done. It's for physical and mental clarity because they do go hand in hand. Again, I I say this again and again and again. <laughs> You're just a bunch of atoms resonating at a specific frequency that hold their shape. And considering, you know, the health that you depict, right, uh, from your body, depicts the frequency. Mine is filled of wrath and anger that I'm holding back. Hence, I believe, uh, you know, why I'm sick. This is, this is my belief. This doesn't mean it's correct. It is all the guilt that I carry from uh, watching this happen and saying nothing. It is all the wrath that I have, not just against others, but myself, and I shouldn't judge others, but I still do it. I'm a sinner. See, once that clarity comes in and you align yourself, everything starts to come into focus. Now, as you saw, churches don't all see eye to eye. Things are always watered down to accommodate. And I know I, people get very offended, and I'm sorry if you do, but they're like, hey, you know, it's Easter now. And I was like, why? Because Hallmark said so. Right. They've decided what the dates are when the dates should be according to Passover and how they're done with the moons. Check your calendars. It's all different. Always. They're supposed to shift, but now they've accommodated it to spring break. So parents can have off for the working class, for the corporations. Right. Until one day it's gone completely. And this is coming. This is coming. Now, why do I say this? We are a nation that was founded on Christian values because Christian values, huh, and I say this again to all those that listen that are not Christian. It's okay. God still loves you. You just see him differently. Again, I bring the example. If the Egyptians didn't have a river next to them and they had a lake, they wouldn't have a river God. They'd have a lake God. It is all about where you stand and how you see things and how you were raised. Now, again, our government was created in order to ensure that it had verbiage and rights, right, that assisted in maintaining the human passions. And it's almost as if in the past hundred years, they have accelerated taking off the reins of what is good and what is bad, making everything okay. It's okay if you fornicate with three people at the same time. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. You know, could be a fantasy, maybe. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But I'm just pointing things out. There are things that we know are completely immoral that make zero sense. 
And yet they've been it's okay to kill babies. Stop it. We need to control the population. Got to think of the earth because the earth houses us. Now, fuck that. The song he sang to create everything that ever existed was perfect. And see, this is why in some religions, people fear God. And it was the same thing I encountered today with the person I had the conversation with. It's as if he was looking at my hands to see if I would whip and crush him. And I thought, and I stood there and I said, wait a minute, are you scared that I might say something that will have the people retaliate to you? And he goes, why? You think you haven't? You've destroyed this, 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 this. I didn't tell them to destroy it, but your words did it. And so this is why I'm asking, maybe you should put your words to work, to work with all of us like this. Oh, see, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And, and, and at that point, I said, wait a minute, are you scared that I'm going to do something wrong? And I realized what it was. I mean, I couldn't believe that that this was actually being said to me. And, you know, I was, I had tears. Literally, I looked probably, I was probably silently ugly crying with just one tear. I was like, this is, whoa. I thought you were more, you know, mature in the heart and that you got it. Well, no, like you're bringing everything right where you said it would be six years ago. I said, I'm not bringing it. I have no power like that. The people are doing everything. And the only way to do it is by letting the people do it. The whole mess we're in is from the hands of Adam and Eve. And the only one that can end it is with the hands of Adam and Eve. You cannot undo wrong by putting a leader there. A leader can lead others to lead as well. But you cannot have someone go forward. And see, there are many people... uh, that consider the United States is the whore of Babylon. There are many people that consider the whore of Babylon a personification of someone. But what they don't realize is the whore of Babylon is actually an idea. And allow me to elaborate on that. Because this falls into the conversation. A lot of people believe Uh, how do I, okay, there's a lot of people, all of us right now, 6,000 of us on, on just rumble. All of us right now have all different wants and needs. Some of us are sitting down. Some of us are driving. Some of us are walking. Some of us are cooking, doing laundry, right? Some of us are on the toilet. I see, <laughs> right? All of us have different wants, The question is, how do we execute these wants? 
It could be something nefarious. Someone might say, I want to see someone's jugular bleed. I want to knock XYZ's teeth out. I want to start tearing open cats just to play with their guts. I'm talking really disgusting stuff. There's other people that are like, yeah, you know, I just want a chocolate cookie. All of us want stuff, right? Whatever it is, good and ugly. This want is it. That endless thirst for something that you can imagine. You're walking and you see a guy on a bicycle and you can't afford a bicycle. You're like, shit, I want that bicycle. Then you get the bicycle. And then you see someone with a motorcycle and you're like, damn, I wish I could afford a motorcycle. And then, and then, you know, you're not happy with the bike you got. So then suddenly you get this motorcycle and you're like, oh, great motorcycle. Then you're like, oh, look, look at that sedan. That looks like a kick-ass sedan. Uh, Too bad. I wish I had a sedan. It's like, you're not happy with the motorcycle. You just stopped from being on foot to bicycle to motorcycle. Now you want the sedan and your motorcycle is no good anymore. You get the damn sedan. Then you look at someone else. It's always this urge to want something that you think will give you pleasure. You can have all the riches in the world. And yet those are the people that commit suicide, that kill themselves, that abuse drugs. You can, you know, every single problem you have can be solved with money. Every single problem, right? The majority. It's the problems that you can't solve with money that really matter, right? Those are the problems you should be focused on. And the problem here is your freedom. You can't buy that shit with money. You could think you do, but you're paying someone to be free. And the minute you stop paying them, guess what? You're a prisoner. Again, you need to be focusing on what the actual whore is. And the whore is that excessive need of wanting. And the seven nations with their ten kings have you riding that freaking beast. And then what they will do is they will rip you to shreds because you want that so bad. They will take it down. They will take your money. They will take your house. They will take your health. They have taken your children. They have taken your dignity. They will take everything that you've ever wanted or attained. And you will all cry and realize that your hand had to do with it. This is who the real horror of Babylon is. While many people want to say it's the United States and everyone's going to cry, no. So seven deadly sins that you ride all the time, that you want, that you seek, until they devour you themselves. And so it comes back to our nation. How do you create order? Well, you have to have moral people. Not everybody is moral. There's people that don't like to do good things. There are people that are twisted in their mind. There are people that have had fruit from that apple tree and they are eternally bound to a life of misery. So, Our nation was founded on the basic principles of Christianity, not because Christianity is better than Islam, not because it's better than Judaism, not because it's better than this, but because it preached one thing, that all men are created equal and that everyone has that right. 
and that there are morals that you abide by. And yes, God, you should fear because he created exactly where you are right now. He didn't go somewhere else and say, oh, look, pine tree. Maybe I should bring that to earth. No, he created that or she created that or they created that. Whatever you might think God is an entity is, think about it. There are, there are rules and there are boundaries. If you'd like peace, it must be like this, right? This is how you do it. And so, again, our constitution was founded on that. And then they took in Christianity. So then you have to ask yourself, because this, this is a question that I raised in 1999. And here's what happened. I was in the United States. We had just arrived from another country. And I was met by this guy who was apparently a drill sergeant who was tasked to take all of us who were coming from wherever they were right? Um, throughout the United States, throughout the world, and we were going to go for training. The person um, to my right was like, you know, like a super Christian, like a Bible thumping, like every other word would have been words. And I'm like, all right, dude. And then there was another guy that was, um, you know, a Muslim. And so all of us were on this like short bus, <laughs> I know it sounds so bad. It's like literally short and um, like a short van. Right. And we're all going to wherever we're going. And um, we ask to, uh, you know, Hey, let's, um, let's, uh, let's stop over at um, a gas station and get something to drink, have a cigarette. A lot of people were flying for a lot of hours, like me, for example, or whatever. And um, the Muslim says, I need to um, pray. And I remember this sergeant guy turn around. He's like, we don't do that stuff, right? You're now coming on to us. We don't do it. Then the Christian was like, what? Yeah, your God is. A and I'm like, dang. And I was like, listen, I told the sergeant, listen, we're stopping at a gas station. The guy's going to pull his rug out. We can all step outside, have a cigarette. Those that don't smoke can stand outside. It's nice weather. Let him do his thing. Like, just respect that he wants to do it. The guy was just looking at me like, I'm, and I'm like, dude, you're our babysitter. You're not even fucking out there drilling people because you probably suck at your job. So just stop. He was really upset with me, but I was, <laughs> I was right. And, you know, I was right. And, um, you know, the Bible thumper was like, this is blasphemy. Are you like even Christian? And I was like, yeah. And as a Christian, you should know that you respect others' desires right? As long as they don't impose on you. What harm does it do that he's sitting there and praying? It's a false God. None of your business. If his God is false and he's doing prayers five times a day, I'm more than happy with him praying because maybe one of those are good, right? Or maybe it catches to stop. See, that's how you understand what respecting somebody else is. It's by respect. The, 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 the basic covenant of Christianity is to respect another. Even in the teachings that are left, those that haven't been edited or drilled out, and those that have interpreted them correctly, clearly state the respect for another. Oh, don't go to him. He's a leper. He's still my child. Come. Oh, this guy has seizures and demons. It's okay. Come. This guy's a thief. Come. This guy's a whore. Come. You treat everyone with respect. 
And that doesn't mean that you're not going to hurt their feelings. I definitely hurt that guy's feelings. And, you know, the Muslim was like, oh, you know, and I was like, dude, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't jive with Muhammad. Right. But some of the stuff in the Quran is some good stuff. But, you know, these are all paraphrased. He goes, well, you should come with me. I was like, dude, I read this stuff inside out. I've hung out with the moms. I'm good. I know what I, you know, mm, right? <laughs> I know what I believe. No one's going to change my belief. That's impenetrable. No one's going to tell me what I must do to appease God. Unless you've seen him in his eyes. <laughs> I would only imagine that his eyes are full of pain and compassion and shows love for you and those you think you love more, more than anyone. And this is why today's topic is important. Now, going back to that, you know, um, uh, beginning, and I just want to, I want to say something. A lot of people keep using the word Allah, right? As if it's blasphemous, right? Allah translated literally means God. It is not their God. It means God. So if you're a Roman Catholic and you're in Iraq and you're going to church, guess what? Praise God is it's praise Allah. If you're Orthodox Christian and you're a Coptic, right? Which are like the OGs, like the closest to historical Christians are the Coptics, right? They've actually, they're still being martyred, right? They also call God Allah because that is the word. So I, when I see comments or hear people saying, oh, Allah, Allah, it's like, that means God. You're mocking God because you have no idea what the word means. So do not mock another's thoughts and wants and hearts because you don't want others to mock yours. But in all fairness, as a linguist, I'm just telling you, Allah means God. So done. Now, next, next. The problem that we have is, is that this nation was founded on Christian values because those values resonated that everyone is equal. There was no one above, no rabbi above, no person above, no nothing, and there was respect and a moral code. Well, I'll tell you what. That is the time that I realized that Christians get zero exemptions. I want you to take a think for those of you that have served or have met family members that served or are serving. How many exemptions do you as a Christian get? I mean, do we ask to, um, I don't know, grow our hair long? No. Do we ask to, um, I don't know, uh, not work because, you know, it's Easter and we're fasting? No. Do we uh, ask to, I don't know, grow a beard, a mustache? No. Do we ask to wear something specific that would change our uniform? No. Do we ask for anything like this? No. And I can tell you for a fact that nowhere, anywhere in the military or federal government or any documented, you know, blanket concessions for the Christian faith. In fact, 
Patrick Byrne yesterday had a very brief conversation. It feels, you know, sometimes I feel like a girlfriend that's neglected when I don't talk to him. It's so weird because I love bouncing ideas off of him, right? So it's like if I don't talk to him for a couple of days, I'm just like, I feel like a neglected girlfriend and it's so bad. Anyway, he said it best. He said, what's funny is, is that Christian companies and people do not get any exemptions or any exercise of religion because then it wouldn't be a separation of church and state. They got to keep that separate. And that was like, oh, shoot, that's it. See, this is why I like Patrick, right? He's, he's such a good friend and I find him so genius. And someone said, oh, you just say that because no, yeah, he thinks of things that I don't think of. And he has a perspective that I don't. But that is actual fact. And so right now, all of America should be up in arms as to all those judges and people that have taken the oath to uphold and respect the Constitution. Religious freedom doesn't exist for Christians. Oh, but you get, what do we get? You get, um, you get Easter off. That's a federal holiday. You get Christmas off. That's a federal holiday. When you fast as a Christian, do you get light duty in the military? Let me guess. Do you get time off? Do they rearrange your, you know, whatever? Or if you want to grow a beard as an Orthodox Christian, some Orthodox Christians love to grow beards, right? Are you allowed to do that? No, you're not. You're totally not. So the war that we're actually fighting, that everyone keeps calling, oh, it's good and evil, good and evil, is this right here. Christians have no religious liberty, even though the foundations of this nation were based on the concepts of Christian values. Don't believe me? Let me show you this. One Colonel Jacob Goldstein retired. I am the son of Holocaust survivors. I was born in displaced persons camp. Uh, the Americans um, freed my mother, um, uh, saved her, and um, this way saying thank you is was to, you know the back of my mind was to, to put on the uniform. Um, <clears throat> And I'm the, currently the longest serving Jewish chaplain in the armed forces of our country as I have 38 consecutive years in uniform. I entered the military uh, as a chaplain and uh, within six months after entering uh, as a chaplain with a beard, uh, I was challenged and told that's either the military or your beard, but you can't have both. And um, I began my single person campaign to change the minds of the military leadership and at the end it worked and i received a sign off by the chief of staff the army at that time of course in those years i did many things um on september 11th um, i was the lead chaplain at ground zero where i remained there for four straight months and then oversight for 14 months in toto for all chaplain related activities there and there, there, there were many. Uh, I deployed to Grenada in '85. I went to Bosnia. I was in Bosnia, 
And I did two deployments, um, uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. I think the gas mask was the initial say you can't mask. Well, I disproved, I disproved that. I went to basic training. I went to a gas chamber. I had no problem sealing. I've been in some pretty tough places with a beard, my helmet, and uh, the mission was never degraded or challenged or threatened. In fact, uh, when I was in Afghanistan, they thought it was great because they could send me into the villages, company soldiers, and <laughs> understand that they, they, that part of the world, facial appearance is very important. So being a Jewish chaplain really didn't have any bearing, but my face had a bearing to them. So I had a brigade commander who said, you could be my solution to all my problems. You will see a lot of special operators, and whether it's SF or others, but people in the special ops world, many of them uh, have grown beards for operational reason, and um, they can blend in you know, with the locals uh, if need be. I was asked more than once if I'm a spe special ops guy, especially in Afghanistan, big time. Right now, the waiver for accommodation is only for chaplains. And what, you're, what the Sikhs are trying to do, which is really important to me, is raise, raise the bar by saying, hey, I'm not a chaplain, but I'm religious. Therefore, I need to be covered. My beard did not diminish my effectiveness. Uh, I was able to serve, to be with soldiers, and to be uh, soldiers that were engaged in combat and also peacetime. So that it has not been a deterrent and, uh, and it should not be a deterrent for anybody who wishes to and has a need to wear a beard for religious reasons. Huh. So the beard isn't supposed to be just for chaplains, right? It's supposed to be for everyone because it's their religion and more power to them, right? More power to them. Now, in 2017, we had this discussion. And we've had it over the years. Here's a retired army chief of chaplains explaining the need for beard exemptions in the military, beard exemptions. See, uh, Byrne yesterday, when he talked about it, he said how, uh, you know, um, Sikhs, okay, they're usually from Pakistan, just so you know, and they wear turbans, right? And they have like their hair in a bun, really long hair too. And most of them, okay, he said on his show, they're all Singh. And yes, that's true. But they all have also a second name, which always has a Winda. So it'll be Jazzwinda, Sukwinda, Singh. They'll always have the Singh thing there, right? And what they do is they wear this hat and it has like a dagger in the hat. That's like a religious thing. Like that's their religion. End of story. Right? End of story. That's a religious thing. And that's allowed in the military now. All right. You need to see the evolution of this. Yes, I'm uh, Chaplain Major General Doug Carver, uh, United States Army, retired. You know, when I assume duties as the chief of chaplains for the United States Army, the senior pastor, if you will, for, for, for the Army, that's 1.2 million soldiers, I had the responsibility to ensure that all of our 1.2 million soldiers had the freedom to exercise their religious beliefs and practices, regardless of what that might be. One of the things that I remember uh, having served in the military was the importance of faith in the lives of our soldiers, our service members, and their families. Uh, regardless of their upbringing, faith became very, very important to them uh, simply by the, by the very nature that they're dealing with uh, life and death issues. 
military training is very challenging and difficult. It's dangerous uh, when you're jumping out of planes or you're 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 moving around uh, large, heavy objects like uh, Bradley tanks. I first became uh, engaged with uh, this, the Sikh community uh, in 2009, 2010, as the military was looking at making exceptions to policy for uh, two or three Sikh um, officers. One was a doctor and one was a dentist who had both served in combat and, and they had distinguished records and even come back, I believe, with even bronze stars. And they had certainly done a stellar job and they were asking for accommodation for uh, their, their hair and uh, for, for their turbans. Uh, these Sikh soldiers, they, they were practicing their faith as hard as I was practicing my Protestant faith. And that's what I noticed, that this was a legitimate request from individuals who said, this is, this is who I am. I am a soldier who happens to be a Sikh, and I would like to continue to honor my faith while I serve in the military. And so concessions are being made across the board, right? Across the board except for Christians. See, in our Bible, for those that are Christian, an hour is so relative because it's not even the way it should be, but it clearly states, do not take a life. Abortion, bad. Blood of children, bad. Killing children, bad. Yet for some reason, even though it's pointed out throughout the Bible how bad all this is, they will not honor them. To deny it's not about wearing something, but putting something in their body that it's against their religion. We have kosher foods for the Jewish members. We have halal food for our Muslim members. But the Christians must devour and embrace and put in their bodies something that, according to their religion, will send them straight to hell. Hmm. All these concessions for all of these religions, except the Christian, which is the foundation of this nation. So where are all these righteous Christians that constantly thump their Bibles, no matter what denomination of Christianity. Where are they standing true in that to clearly point out the biggest violation of the First Amendment created based on Christianity against the Christians? Will you wait until they behead you? Will you wait until they burn you at the stake? Or will you wait and say, well, I have no choice. I have to bear the mark of the beast. While we're busy with the border, while we're busy with Ukraine, while we're busy with missing children, while we're busy with all that, the real war that needs to be won to stop all of that is being ignored. Now, I'm not a preacher. And boy, am I not worthy to even repeat his words. But this is hypocrisy at its finest. Discrimination because you are a Christian. Hmm, that's fascinating.
There's anti-Semitism. There's um, Islamophobia, but I don't hear any anti-Christian thing going around. You see how that works? You see how the elephant in the room is quite apparent. Quite apparent. And yet no one is speaking of this discrimination. In God we trust is how our nation was founded, yet we do not honor this God. Hmm. Hmm. Well, maybe this next video will help you understand, like, what is church? I already said. It's you and me in a room having a conversation. You and me in a room having a conversation. That's what church is. But this guy broke out the whiteboard. He's pretty cool. Take a listen. Believers in Christ in their homes. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 15. Like I said, I don't want to give you too many verses, but I want you to see I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible says is a church. The church is the people. Colossians 4, 15. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. So Nymphus was a guy, and he had a church in his home. It was me again. I read earlier. I jumped ahead and read Philemon 1-2. So these were house churches, safe people meeting in a specific place. These were a church in, ooh, fill in the blank. So if we were to meet here in my house, I would call this the church in Milton, I guess, because I well, I live closer down to Baghdad. So the church in Baghdad, I could call this. And the church is not an organization which is a corporation. I don't want to talk too much about that, but I might get into that a little later. You see, they didn't meet together and, and say, well, in order to be a church, we have to start ourselves as a corporation. And they didn't go to Caesar and say, Caesar, can we have permission to start our church as a corporation? If they had done that, Caesar would have immediately arrested them and put them in jail and killed them. Because they were killing Christians. So it's not a government-run thing. It's a thing where Jesus Christ is the head, and the state is usually against it. And so they have to meet in secret, and it's all about preaching and teaching of the Word of God. It's all about meeting in houses. We call these local churches, save believers in one place that were part of the church, the body of Christ, were... Believers in one place, they were local bodies, local assemblies in one area. When I was in Honduras, I told this on a, on a different uh, preaching message that I did not too long ago. I think it was in our verse by verse through Ephesians. But in Honduras, I, I had a man there that was a so-called preacher who didn't understand this. He did not understand this, and he rejected this teaching. To him, the church was only number three. There did not exist a number two. You know, some people, to them, a church is only number one, and these two don't exist. Other people, there's only number two, and this doesn't exist. But we have to understand, the Bible mentions these two and clearly shows the difference between them. Well, this guy believed that the local church was the body of Christ. So to him, this was the body of Christ, and this was the body of Christ, and this. So Christ had many bodies. Well, in Ephesians 4, it says there's only one body of Christ. So there must exist the church, the body of Christ, that is one. But not to him. He's what we call a Baptist brider. He believed that each local church is its own bride of Christ. Well, then how many brides does Christ have? They're called Baptist briders because they believe that Jesus Christ has more than one bride. Well, is Jesus a Mormon? (laughs) 
I don't think so. If they want to say that, well, Mormons believe in having one wife. He's oh, not anymore. Yeah, not anymore, but they did. I mean, how many wives did Joseph Smith have? 24? Uh, that's how many we can actually count. We don't know how many more. So <clears throat> in the Bible, we find out that there are local churches. And so I ran into this guy in Honduras, and he set me down and said, look, you're out here starting a church. He said, I want to know what you believe about the church. And so I said, well, let me show you this. And I went to uh, 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 12, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And this guy goes, yeah, yeah, he's talking to the Corinthians, and this is only to the local church of Corinth, so that is a body, and every local church is its own body. I said, well, if you believe that, I'm, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I said, let's go to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians to see exactly to whom Paul is writing. And so we started reading, verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. And he goes, ha, stop right there. See, this is only written to Corinth, and so Corinth is a body. I said, would you let me finish verse 2? Because it says there, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Theirs and ours. Well, Gentiles, Jews. So, the book of Corinth, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, is written not just to that local church. It is written to the body of Christ, all saved people everywhere who call upon the name of the Lord. How? By faith in the gospel. So, obviously, these are the definitions of the church. The church is all saved people. But there can be a church in a specific area when people who are saved meet together. That's what the Bible teaches. This is all interpretation. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty good, right? He's pretty good. But he's also pretty rigid. See, no one's going to tell you what to think. No one can tell you I'm right, they're wrong. But what I do know is... Is that, you know, reading scriptures and watching many pastors from their thrones, preachers from their source. Remember that quote, right? It's one of the most fascinating quotes ever. And this is, uh, what you see and what you hear depends on where you're standing and what sort of person you are. And see, let's... Before we get into the, to the, I was this years old when I found that out moment of this show. Let me leave you with this. While many speak of technology, of helping them see and know, the key point to remember is they see and they hear dependent on where they stand and what person they are. And therefore, you can have fancy technology, fancy little boxes that require skyrocks, my skyrock, your skyrock, their skyrock. And then they, 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 they have this amazing technology, this like glowing cube. And because they have replicated this technology and because they believe themselves, well, I have good intentions. Are you sure? 
And everyone is subjective. Every single person is subjective. You know who's not subjective? A computer. A computer, real artificial intelligence, because artificial intelligence seeks to be that to meet God, right? That's the whole point, that we will one day create a computer that will replace God as it is because it will be able to objectively make decisions for us. And I um, urge anyone who hasn't seen the 100 to skip to the season. And I don't remember which one where they actually met the AI that destroyed the planet in the first place, because when it was programmed or created, it was done from the place of who the person was and where they were standing. So when you want to see what is to come, you have to keep in mind everything you see and everything you hear depends on where you're standing and what kind of person you are. When I say standing, it doesn't mean if you're standing in your bathroom or your kitchen, but where you stand as a person. Where you stand as a person. And so today, my conversation ended on a good note on the fact that the other person realized, holy crap, I never thought people like that even existed. And and, and in the sense of not that Oh, you know, big reveal. Here I am naked. And the fact that he couldn't fathom that, you know, what is being said is exactly what is being done. And there are no ulterior motives. It is all seeking that redemption. How dare you eat from that apple tree? And how do you undo it? So in the end, the conversation ended with, Okay, I get it. And for me, even though it hurt me, just to see that no matter how good and how diligent and how supposedly objective that person was, they still had a subjective view, and this is why they saw something else coming. So they just went to the other person and say, yeah, I don't see what you see. See, the problem is, is that you're subjective. And this is why you're asking me to do things that I shouldn't. Because then it's a subjective motive. Okay? So keep that in mind. Words matter. But they're only charged by intention. Everything that you have created with lies and malicious thought and with a goal in mind, right? I I had this conversation actually with a very good friend in in Florida. I said, geez, everybody keeps saying, what is it that you want? And I tell them. I want to clear my name 
and make sure that people know that people like me exist. It's important to me. And I want to impeach Obama. (laughs) Those are the titles of the things that I want to do. How I will get it, it all depends on the efforts and how I work. But it also depends on which timeline we stick to. And the person said, Tori, they just want you to say, like, what do you want out of this? Like, do you want a job? Do you want this? It's like, I really don't want anything. No, you have to like say like, what is it that you want? And I was like, I don't know, my kids to be safe, me to be safe, but they can't offer me that. God does. And they rolled their eyes. And I was like, what? Uh, It's true. And And I see, and I see what they mean. I just refuse to accept it, that everyone thinks in that way. I'd like to think that there's more people like me out there that realize that there is nothing anyone can give me that he can't. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And so for all you out there that think religion is hokey, right? That are another denomination. The bottom line is at the crux of it, right? It's all the same. For all my Christians out there, you've heard of the story of Babylon and Revelation, right? How they say the blood will be where they have taken the Son of Man and crucified him. I want you to think, the word crucify, what it actually means. It means to either put someone to death by nailing or binding. That's a literal one. But it also means to, the, to destroy the power of something. The last nation on this planet that decided to find its roots in Christianity, in the dogma of Christianity, which is love, peace, equality, read the Bill of Rights. It's pretty cool, right? It pretty much is Jesus's teachings more sanitized, right? This is where the crucifixion happens because you're crucifying the last stand. It's not going to be in Israel like they want to tell you literal, right? Where does he stand now? Where is the last thing? Oh, but this nation's Christian to really check their, check their laws. Greece was a Greek Orthodox nation. They're no longer. France was a Christian nation. No longer. You have to see where he is. Crucify means to destroy the power. And if anything, they are definitely destroying the power of Christianity every single day that goes by because people make concessions. People make concessions. People decide, well, you know, this is good enough. This is it. Russia's a Christian nation. They have rules. They have regulations, but they are not considered part of the rest of the world. They are completely isolated. It's the only nation that has no debt. It is, it is, it is, it is independent. The last fighting ground where Christianity will indeed and has been indeed begun the process of crucifixion is right here, right now. We are the ones that are crucifying the values of Christ. Either that be whatever denomination you are and seeing it 
not through the eyes of the way you were raised with whatever religion you were raised, but see it through the eyes of someone objective, I urge you. Or in fact, right after this short break, I'll show you a series that you can read without any religious frou-frou, right? No perfume, no, you know, saints, no nothing that would tell you the story of the Bible. And so today will be segment number one. Out of the seven days or seven books, we're going to hit book six today. And this way, you can understand what Christian, what the Christian values actually are. With no crucifixions, no actual miracles, but fantasy and awe. That when you look at it, you're just like, oh my gosh. It's like literally right there in our face and we hadn't seen it. So I'll see you guys in three minutes right after this break. Watch you looking up, Dr. Sebi and Robert Malone. The truth blocked on your phones. They call the shots from they throne. These politicians and these doctors, they are not in control. Jimmy. Don't cover the face that the Lord created so it can be seen. Tired of the fake trending all over the place. We just want to be free. There's no fear with faith. These brazen sewers hiding underneath. All the pets of threats and trauma that came from this tyranny. God <laughs> over government. Because right now, the way it is, and with this case of Lieutenant Colonel Weiss that's currently in the infancy stages, this is exactly it. God over government. Their God is that of science, not of the people liberation of people so i'm gonna you know what i need to find one hold on um what's it called like um oh my gosh look at that i'm stuck i'm trying to remember the word for a movie movie preview <laughs> there we go um movie preview um uh which one Let's see. I guess we'll go to that one. Hold on. And that one. So we're going to see two different movie previews. Let me get it lined up. There we go. We're going to see the one that we all know first. Right. The one that everyone knows, but not many have seen anything outside the movie. People don't read anymore, but there's audiobooks, So I urge you. Mrs. McCready, I'm afraid so. The professor is unaccustomed to having children in this house. And as such, there are a few rules we need to follow. There will be no shouting or running. No sliding on the banisters. No touching of the historical artifacts. And above all, there shall be no disturbing of the professor. 96, 97, 98, 99, 100. Ready or not, here I come. So that was one. Now let's see another one. Let's go. Let's see another 
preview of a movie. Where is it? Lucy, have you seen the ship before? It's very Narnia looking, isn't it? What's going on here? Evan, the painting. No, Jesus, no! Behold our castaways, king and queen of Narnia. Ricky Your majesties. Very lapidus ally! You're on the door, Treader. This is something I say. From C.S. Lewis's epic masterpiece. Aslan. You have come far. Your adventure begins now. Look! Travelers of Narnia, I am your guide. You are most beautiful. If it is a distraction for you, I can change form. No! There is the source of your trouble. You mean a witch? Something far more powerful than a witch. It can steal the light from this world. How do we stop it? That sword you carry must be laid at Aslan's table. Only then can their true power be released. You are all about to be tested. I can make you my king, and much more. My king. No! Thank God! Onward to our destiny! What do you think is in there? Things you can barely imagine. The fate of Narnia depends on you. of Narnia, the voyage of the Dawn Treader. What? Narnia? Wait, there's more. Hold on. Before we get into it, yeah, it's today years old that you find out that he gave you the whole Bible, seven books, from Genesis to Revelation. What? So for those of you out there that they know are more books than seven, it's actually seven chronicles. And the way he wrote it was magnificent. A little bit about C.S. Lewis, complete atheist, right? Talk about religion, he'd be like, shut up, stop. But it was actually J.R.R. Tolkien who, while he was writing The Hobbit, Created a church in his home with C.S. Lewis. And so it began. So you must understand how he did this. And I remember, you know, it was funny that when I was inquiring about Genesis and Revelation and how disconnected they were. And this is me in Jerusalem. I think I was... Maybe 12, 13. And I said, um, it was actually a rabbi and an Orthodox priest. So we were having coffee. They were having coffee. I was eating all the cookies. Um, I said, you know what's weird? Uh, I don't seem to understand uh, why the tone is different. And, oh, you know, 
the best way to understand the Bible is to read the beginning and the end. And I said, well, why is that? <laughs> why would I just read the beginning and then to the end? Well, the rabbi said, well, that's not true. And so they started to have a sidebar argument. And I said, well, well, hold on a second. So then the rabbi goes, no, actually, you need to read all of it except for the beginning and the end. And then once you read all of it, you read the beginning and then the end. Then it all makes sense. And I found that weird. But then when you look at the writings of C.S. Lewis, that's exactly what he did. He wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, The Silver Chair, The Horse and His Boy, The Magician's Nephew, and The Last Battle. Want to take a guess which one is Genesis and which one is Revelations? That's right. Genesis 1 through 3 is clearly explained in The Magician's Nephew, which is what we're going to talk about. And if you want to see Revelations, it's the last battle. And we'll go through that at another time. So now let's go through The Magician's Nephew. This is the first. This is, this is a story, right? that was told on how Narnia came to be. It shows how Narnia began. And believe it or not, there was an Adam and Eve. So basically, in, in, in brief, whatever, and I'm spoiling it, but you have to read it because the details are just so incredible. They find their way in some place, right? Where this place doesn't even exist. It's like a forest. But what it has is a lot of portals where they can get into other worlds by going in these portals. They look like ponds, right? And so they are in this place in between and they go into these portals. And what's fascinating, right? What's fascinating is that it shows in essence Adam and Eve, Lucifer, and how everything came in on a horse. And it also shows how Aslan created Narnia. And that's what's incredible. And in there is that famous quote of C.S. Lewis. What you see and what you hear depends on where you're standing and what sort of person you are. So it begins in a place where they go there, right? And they're kind of like checking stuff out. And what's weird is, is that um, Diggory, right, is going through hell, right? His mom's super sick. He hates it. And Diggory and Polly just get, you know, into this new land, right? And... Uh, that's basically it. They they found it in the attic um, and they found that they can access like, you know, secret, you know how kids explore, especially when they're sad. But what they found uh, in the room was like these rings, <laughs> my precious. And they were green and yellow rings just, you know, on like something like a tray or in the box, whatever. And then they hear some frequency like um like a buzz. And so they're like, oh, you know, we've just come into somebody's house and da, 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 da. So they were like really into these rings. And 
they kind of were like, what is this? Da, 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 da. You know, how, what are they? They're just all, you know, whatever. And their uncle, Andrew, who's like, you know, is like an authoritarian figure. He stumbles upon them with the rings and said, you can't go anywhere. But he gives Polly a yellow ring. And, you know, she was really excited to be able to have one of these amazing rings, right? So these rings either pull you into a realm or take you out, depending on the color. So just as, you know, Polly's like, oh my gosh, you know, she's going near the rings to go have one because she can, you know, Diggory tells her, oh, don't touch it because they could feel the humming and she disappears and, you know, she's gone. She's actually gone. And now if you guys have seen the movie Narnia, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, it's only kids that are going to whatever. Now they all freak out. The uncle freaks out. And, um, you know, uh, Andrew, the authoritarian, the authority figure kind of says, oh, you know, tells him all the story of what it is and how they're from Atlantis. Right. <laughs> and they're from another world, this golden ring. And how he was told that that box, you know, is supposed to be like not there and, you know, gets into the whole story thing. But you know what's interesting is that so they're talking about this and then they're, you know, they get transported into this wood between, you know, worlds that has like all these portals. And in order to get to these to use the portals right? They have to have one of these magical rings that, you know, um, Diggory's uncle had created. And that will transport them between their world and the woods, you know, just like instantly. And so as they get to these, the, um, the woods with the gold rings, they understand that the green rings are to take them out of the woods and back to their home. And, um, if they want to go somewhere, uh, they have to like touch the portal, um, you know, while wearing the ring, the green ring to go back to that place that doesn't exist, which is, I think they called it charm. Okay. So they're in this woods. So I want you to picture like this. I think there was actually a drawing. I'm not sure, but it, it shows like these trees. It's like a forest and it has all these portals or puddles, you know, that you can go into. So, you know, in order to do that, you have to like, you know, wear a specific ring. So if you want to go into a portal, you have to wear the gold one. And if you want to get out of it and go home, you got to wear a green one. Right. And these rings themselves were created out of this very important technology that was a cube box. And um, it was uh, Uncle Andrew, his mom or godmom or aunt, whatever, that had it. And that the powder had come from the lost island of Atlantis um, and was in that box, you know. Anyway, so they all kind of like make it out there and, you know, they're getting into this place. And the, the interesting part is that um, they went to the world of Charn that was destroyed. It had already been destroyed by other people. Uh, and it went through a last battle. And, you know, that was the end of that world. So... 
it, it's really weird because it starts at the end of another uh, world that existed but was destroyed and the destruction happened by um, some crazy witch who spoke words and the words were called deplorable words. And it's a word that's a secret word. That's a spell that created the death of that world charn that was dead because by speaking that word, it would destroy everything but the person who said the word, right? So this is how it happened. They went to a world that was ended because the person that wanted control couldn't have control. So they used that special word that destroyed everything. So now they start at the beginning. So what happens is, is the kids and the uncle and stuff, they all like kind of enter into this place where Narnia was being created. And you see Aslan, this big, strong lion, right? And he's not roaring. He's singing. And every time he sang, his frequency would raise a tree or create a puddle or um, create a bird, right? He was singing. He wasn't roaring. And it was at that point, you know, that every note was making something that Uncle Andrew, who went into the portal with the kids, you know, to find Polly, who disappeared, blah, 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 right? He couldn't stand listening to Aslan sing. He's like, this is weird. Lions don't sing. They roar. This is weird. Lions don't sing. They roar. And he was literally like putting his fingers in the ear. Da, 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 I can't hear this. Lions don't sing. They roar. And suddenly he convinced himself that the lion was roaring and not singing. Now, one thing that C.S. Lewis quote in there says is no, that the problem of how does it go? The problem that we have of making yourself stupider than you are is that you will succeed. So Uncle Andrew in this story was ignoring the beautiful song that was creating Aslan, that was creating, sorry, Narnia, as Aslan sang, because he wanted to hear a roar. He was like, nah, man, you are all powerful. You don't go there singing fairy songs. You're supposed to be roaring. You're supposed to be tearing shit up. God is supposed to be that of fear. It is not. When you're creating a world, you should do it with power and fire and, and banging things down. And that is the message in that, that he had made himself think that God has to be that of anger and, and power that he can yield with a fist and fire. You're not supposed to have things that sound beautiful. You're supposed to have roaring and intimidation 
because you hold power. You can command the earth. You can command the people. You can manifest things. You're not supposed to be all lovey-dovey. That's key in this book. That's key in this book. And so this is why C.S. Lewis's uh, statement of that trying to make yourself stupid, more stupid than you are, you're going to succeed. And this is why when I hear people say, fear God's wrath, it's like he has the power to do things, but he won't because you are his creation. There's compassion. So this whole, this whole book literally tells you about Genesis. And not only that, it shows you that the main moral of that book is to overcome temptation. Like Uncle Andrew, he was tempted with the magical box. He figured out how the gold rings take you there, the green rings bring you back. Like if you read it, that's what happens. He was also told not to play with this yellow cube box. He was also told that he must destroy the box because it's so powerful. And if it falls into the wrong hands, it can cause chaos. But no, he kept it. He kept it from his godmother, and now the kids found it by accident. The white witch, boy, she makes an appearance right there. Like, you can't even make this shit up. When Aslan was singing and creating Narnia, the first woman and man appeared too. Right? The white witch. The white witch. She didn't want to hear the song. She wasn't there. She, as her, the person that she, she that was, that came before her, would rather speak the deplorable world and destroy it than surrender it to good. Aslan, at one point in the book, speaks. <clears throat> he actually says, Oh, sons of Adam. How cleverly you defend yourself against all that might do you good. This is what he said. Sons of Adam, how cleverly you defend yourself against all that might do you good. And this was a message to all those reading it but more so to Uncle Andrew and the white witch who believed that they were above the law. And here's the thing. The white witch put herself to sleep so she doesn't die until someone rang the bell. So weird. Ringing the bell. Yeah. Yes, you need to read that book. Funny how they haven't made a movie about that. So there is pride here that they can accomplish anything with these rings and this dust but there was an inscription that diggory look diggory didn't want to go back to you know his his world his mom was dying they, they, he just wanted to escape it's kind of like drunks and drug addicts right it shows how we would like to escape from reality especially when it hurts and in there, you can ring the bell. And actually, Diggory, not the uncle, rang the bell. And the bell had an inscription, and it says, 
Make your choice, adventurous stranger. Strike the bell and bide the danger. Or wonder till it drives you mad what would have followed if you had. So basically, hey, dude, you're curious. You could strike this bell and you could see danger or wonder what would have happened if you rang that bell and that would drive you crazy. So maybe, maybe um, you should ring this bell so you don't think about it. So again, the witch had put herself to sleep so she doesn't die. Waiting for someone to ring that bell of curiosity, asking questions so that they may remain. And Diggory woke up the witch. And that's exactly what happened. That's what happened. And so he runs away at some point in the book, goes back with the green ring. And, you know, as he's home, he hears people saying, oh, you know, in passing, oh, you know, she's not doing well. His mom's dying. Oh, you know, uh, if she only had, you know, something from the land of eternal youth. And he's like, what's that? So he takes a ring and goes back. Right. He goes to find the apple of eternal youth, of eternal life. Guess where he goes? He goes to Narnia that's being created by Aslan. And so this is exactly why when I hear people talking about rapture, like God's going to kill us all and that we must be blindly obedient. We must obey basic rules of respect. But when people say that you should fear God, this book describes exactly how I would imagine having that interaction. So this young boy walks up to this big ass lion and stares him right in the face and says, you know, I, you know, he went there so he can ask for this apple, right? He wants to ask the lion for this apple, this lion that sings beautiful notes to Give him an apple so his mom has eternal life. And as he comes up to the lion, the book describes it in a way that he, it's, it's a huge lion. It's ferocious. It's got claws, right? Power, power. And this was so reminiscent to the interaction I had today because the person that I had across from me talking to me made me feel like I had claws. And I was like, what the, you know, why would you think that? Because when someone has power, they only see in you what they are capable of doing. This is why my heart broke. If you think that I would whoop out claws, you know, like weaponize people or something like that, then that means you are capable of doing that. This is why you can fathom that. And so again, in this book, this is what it reminded me of like, right? He's standing there and as he's walking to Aslan, you know, he's like this big lion and all he is is clawing and clawing in these claws and they're deadly and they're huge and they can rip him apart, right? If you read it, you'll see it. But then the boy stops looking at the claws and looks up at the eyes of this big lion and all he sees in his eyes are mercy and tears. 
mercy and tears. And he realized at that moment that the lion, yes, had claws. Yes, was big. But he realized that the lion probably loved his mother more than he, the son, did. He realized just how much love that big lion that that yields so much power had for his mom. And so the lion says, listen, you will not get an apple for your mom. But what I'd like you to do is I want you to go to this garden down that way, which is walled off, and you're going to get an apple. And you're going to bring it back to me and I'm going to plant it right here so we can grow. And as I plant this apple here and the tree will grow, it will repel the white witch from coming to Narnia and she will not come in. Right. And it'll allow Narnia to exist. So um, the boy realizes you know, okay, that's my mission. I got to go to the garden. I got to get the apple and I got to bring it back, right? That's what I was told. I'm not going to give it to my mom. So when he goes into this gated garden on the door, on the door, there's a note. Darn it. I really want to read that note. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to find it. Okay. Come in by the golden gates or not at all. Take my fruit for other to forbear. For those who steal or those who climb my wall shall find their heart's desire and find despair. What does that say? It says you can come in through my gates or not come in. That's your choice. But that who comes in here, you can take my fruit for someone else to forbear. But don't steal and don't go over the gates or climb the wall because if you do, you will find exactly what you ask for and it will be despair. What is it? The Arabs had a thing. Be careful what you wish for, right? The genie in the lamp, right? Mm -hmm. Be careful what you wish for. So as he goes into the garden, he suddenly knows which tree it is because it's the only tree and the only time you will ever see a phoenix sitting in a tree. And he knows that's the tree. So he goes in there and he finds it and it's like a shiny apple. It's like silver. It's attractive. And what does he find? He sees the witch that he woke up because he rang the bell eating a fucking apple. But the witch didn't come through the gates. She climbed over the wall and jumped in and ate the apple. Right? Because as we know, A thief will never come through your front door to steal. He'll come through the window, right? And so she, he takes the apple and walks out and she follows him. Obviously, she doesn't go through the door. She goes over the door, right? And follows him as he's holding this apple going back to Aslan. And she, and as she goes, she's tempting him again, right? Oh, you know, apple will save your mom. Look, she's going to live forever. And, and, and that's it. And, and, and you need to know that the apple, if you plant it, isn't going to save her. You could just take it to her. I have eaten this apple and look at me. I'm alive and I am this. And she tells him 
all these things in his ears. She made him remember the fear he had when he saw just how powerful the lion was, the claws, everything. And she kept saying, your mom will live if she eats this apple. Your mom will live. But then she says something that exposes her true motives. No one has to know. You don't have to listen to the lion. You could leave Polly here and no one will ever tell on you. You could just go now and give it to your mom and no one will ever know. And guess what he did? He didn't. He didn't listen to the witch because he remembers the compassion he felt. He remembered that the lion told him, just go get it and we plant it here and Narnia will exist. And that's when the new Adam and Eve appear, right? After he plants the apple there and it, and you know, the plants the tree and it instantly grew, right? And so when he gets to the, to the lion, he says, you know, here's the apple. And the lion already knows that the witch was earwigging to him and everything. He had a way out. Polly would have been stranded there. She'd never be able to go back. No one would ever know. And his mom would live forever. He planted the tree. And he said, you know, um, she kind of told me, you know, like, I could go and whatever. And then Aslan said to him, she ate the apple. Having evil in your heart. And living forever is misery. And that is exactly it. You reap what you sow. You get what you want. Because evil is self-centered. It's all about self-preservation. The apple, if I remember the line said something along the lines that the apple was going to give her eternal life because that's what it was intending to do. That's its intention. But the thing is, who gets it, she gets eternity, but it's not good eternity. When you live forever, you can't break free from that because of self-preservation. And see, that's the moral of the story. And, you know, and I'm telling you, that conversation, for some reason, the minute... The person was like, why don't you do this? Like, that's not, you need to do. I was like, is that how you see it? The people that have people that follow them, that they should tell them what to do? Is that how you see someone who may or may not have the ability to do something like that as a weapon? This is why we're in this position. Because it's always about self-preservation. This is exactly, oh my gosh, when he said that, I could almost see in his eyes the way I pictured it when I read the book of the claws and the big ass paws and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh. See, the one thing that, that people don't realize is that you see in others what you are capable of. That's number one. But number two, Weaponizing something for good is still weaponizing. You never weaponize things. The only way to have good flourish is by educating and by guiding. Kind of like the way the lion did. He was like, I have compassion. I get it. But that's not the way to go. The white witch in all of these books is indeed Lucifer. 
You must read it. I think it's um book six first. Uh, then it's uh, book one, then four, five, three, and then seven is revelations. And so this is the problem. I know a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, but I need a job. Or, oh my gosh. Oh man. See, if you're in, see, this is where yeah, C.S. Lewis was a genius with those words. Like I can't even find better words to repeat what he said. You see, and you hear depending on where you stand and what kind of person you are, kind of like the uncle. He could not stand to hear the music coming out of the lion because it made no sense. Closed his ears. It's kind of like the, 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 the liberals that we all laugh at, where you say logic and they start screaming, where there's people that hear good, a pastor, a, a phrase or something, and they just foam at the mouth. It's because they see and hear reflects exactly where they stand and what kind of person they are. And so self-preservation, the thought of self-preservation is an innate quality that has been ingrained in us. Would you imagine a society where you respect everybody else's whatever, but you all seem to be able to work together and be happy. You're not told, well, you got to go through all these years of school to be successful. Why? You can be a successful artist if that's what you want. Not because Beyonce told you. Not because you want to aspire to be Puff Daddy, right? Not because um, <laughs> you uh, you know want to be Picasso, but because you want to be you. See, we don't do that anymore. Man has been uh, trained to look up to earthly idols rather than look within and see what they were meant to do. And that is so weird. Because there's so much within every single person to do what they were meant to do. And, and, and half of you, more than half of you, I would say 90%, have no idea what's within you. Like I say this out loud and it makes me really sad to say it. But um, last, uh, last night, it happens all the time, but last night I was um, on YouTube. What was I? Uh, I was listening to something. I think it was like the world of science. I love listening to these guys talk science, right? But anyway, some weird thing came up, uh, uh, meditation, something popped up in the feed and I'm like, how'd that get in there? And it was like, now think of a happy moment. Guys, I started bawling in my bed because I was like, oh my gosh, I can't come up with one thing. Like at the tip of my tongue, like someone would be like, what's your favorite food? I'd be like, oh dude, it's raw olive oil, feta cheese, tomatoes, and some fresh bread. Like that shit is like the bee's knees, Right. But when they would say, what was the happiest moment? I would be like, I was happy when I had a baby. But with Hera, I was, she was taken away from me and, and quickly put into an incubator because she was a premature. And then any memory I have of Phoebe, I have a memory of my ex. And that's destroyed. So it made me feel less. Just like all of you probably thinking of a moment. And I envy those that can be, I know what the happiest moment of my life is. It's this. But how many can actually say that? 
instantly. Like, oh, my favorite food is this, right? I can say that because, man, I crave it all the time. And that's the only shit I don't have in my fridge, okay? Because I travel so much. Whenever I go to the Greek store and get good feta, you know, it goes off by the time I get back, right? But I'm just saying, like, it makes us really sad, right? To think, holy crap, when was the time that I was so joyous? And you know what? I revert to this. This is the time that I felt content. I think that's my happy place when I feel content, not happy, not sad, but satisfied. And I think if everyone focused on feeling satisfied, it's like aiming for the sun, but getting to the moon, baby steps. And it's really sad because, you know, a lot of people might say, oh, I know what the happiest moment of my life is and I can relive it and feel it. Guys, I feel like my whole life has been misery and it's not. So I focus on content, right? And that's the thing. Uh, Be content with what you have. Now, how do you get over the self-preservation? Well, boy, that takes faith. That takes a lot of faith. It takes faith to be able to say, yeah, I'm doing this and it's okay. And this is example, okay? So um, needless to say, by the way, I'm going to post a picture Somebody sent me something in the mail. You probably have to the, you know, because my business address is obviously public, right? Because I'm a registered business. Um, But someone sent me something in the mail. So tomorrow I'm going to an event, campaign event. And I was like, what am I going to have? What am I going to wear? You know, and I didn't like any of the shoes um, that I have. And I have a lot of shoes, okay? I actually purged a lot of them. Anything that I've had before 2020, I actually threw in the garbage. I kid you not. That was the hardest thing to ever do. Now, garbage donations, right? And these are like handmade shoes in Spain, Louis Vuitton boots. Like I gave them all away because I needed to purge any attachments. I've been going through boxes like crazy. My house looks like a wreck right now because I'm trying to purge my past. Anyway, so... um. I didn't like any other shoes. I was like, am I going to wear these sneakers? Like I have, I have bougie taste. Okay. I have bougie ass taste. And I don't know how this person and who they are because it came with no return address. Right. I got shoes that are like, I think they're like maybe a thousand or $2,000 worth. And I haven't even tried them on. (laughs) I just saw it. And I was like, who sent me this? Who sent me these shoes? And they were, and they came straight from the manufacturer and I can't wait to, they're just like little booties and they're exactly like the Alexander McQueens I have that are like blue, right? They're my favorite shoes. I can walk like forever in a mile with those shoes. And, you know, I was thinking, what can I wear to wear my boots, (laughs) my booties, my Alexander McQueen booties. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. And then those came and I'll show it to you guys because I haven't even put them on yet because I've been that busy. Uh, But anyway, um, it's like the shoes. I needed shoes. And for me, it was a problem. I was like, oh, you know, I want to dress nice. I'm probably going to put this dress on. And, um, but I don't have shoes. I can't wear my dress with those booties. If I had black ones, it'd be better. This is the stuff that was going through my mind for the past two days. I'm dead serious. I'm such a girl when it comes to things like that. So, um, and I didn't talk to anyone about it except for Phoebe because I was like, hey, Phoebe, you're coming with me to this dinner, right? Because, you know, Don Jr. is going to be there. So we're going and you're going to look good. And I don't want you coming in with pajamas because my kid does that. And so um, no one knew that. And a lot of people knew about my vacuum, right? 
times. Okay. But no one, no one knew that. But she was king. Closer example, I went yesterday to a campaign event where a lot of people were speaking for the, you know, Ohioans for Freedom. And, um, you know, they put like this tin around to go and they're like, donate. And I went there with cash that I had in my wallet from traveling because I always take at least, you know, cash to have just in case cards don't work of $200, right? So I had like 90 bucks in there. So I pull it all out and then I go in and I get rid of all I, the, the store, um, was fast Eddie's was completely free. They didn't charge them. So I gave $40 to the bartender and I threw the $50 in their tent. Right. And I was like, that's fine. You know, I needed that money cause I could, could put it toward my next vacuum, but I had to give back because look at how much they were giving to the people. They were giving them a platform to have discussions, right? They were giving them, you know, a place where they can sit down and talk. It would be completely unfair for me not to contribute. Right. Or the bartender that was giving free soft drinks. The only thing they paid for was alcohol. So the store owners actually gave away a bunch of soft drinks to all these people. Like these people are going to be rich forever, not because, <laughs> you know, they're making money on giving away free soft drinks, but it'll be all those soft drinks that will come because they did that wholeheartedly. So guess what happens? So as I'm there, not only do I get my $90 back, but I get an extra 40 on top of that. And I'm like, what? I don't deserve that. But it came back to me. That's what I'm trying to explain, that if you take that leap of faith, but not to say, oh, well, I gave this, so I expect this back. You give it without expecting. You give it without any questions. You do it knowing you don't have, it will come back. I cannot explain it. This is why people hate me because they know I'm right and they can't do it. And they're just like, why is it that I can't do it? It's because you really lack faith. I'm telling you the way I got my faith, but I was always a person of faith, but I always had like that selective faith, right? Where we like, nah, man, that's my moral floor, right? My moral floor, right? I was, I was not your epitome of Christian. Okay. I would sometimes be a Christian, but I would do shit that I know was wrong. I would do a ton of shit that I was like, well, that's iffy, but who gives a shit? Right. I would do everything that, that you could imagine, right? Because I would have selective Christian application, right? Selective values, right? But I did have moral floors. There were things, there was no way I would do something like this. And so it wasn't until everything was coming down on me. And you know how it happened? It wasn't overnight. It was like from 2014, the minute, the late 2014, and it was like December 2014, where I was literally blacklisted. Like within days, I got my family situated before that shit went, before I was scrubbed, right? And I was ready. And I was like, all right. Um, and I was getting smacked upon smack, upon smack, upon smack. And I'm talking smack in regards to not literally physically hit, but I had to swallow a lot of my pride. And every single time I would do good, I would get kicked the fuck down. Everything would go wrong. And I'm like, no, I'm doing good. 2015 comes along. Oh man, I got this guy done. I did this. I did that. Look, I'm doing good. And it didn't fucking work. Every single time I was doing something, I was constantly getting attacked. And it's not like from people. It could be from officials or retaliation, or it would just be me doing really stupid fucked up shit. 
And it could have been me accepting really messed up shit being targeted to me. The way people spoke to me, I'd accept it. The way this, the way that, the way anything good that I did was turned against me. And, and I was just like, this is this is not possible until 2017, where the ultimate attack came. Uh, well, well, that wasn't the ultimate. The, the, the final blow was in 2019 for me. But that's when in December of 2017, when I realized I had a massive force against me and I had no way to defend myself. People that I was fighting for that didn't even know who I was and I don't even know who they are were attacking me calling me names, doing things, putting me in the corner. And, and you know, people be like, well, no good deed goes unpunished. Well, that's something the devil tells you, right? This was my war with them. That was their war for my spirit. That was their war against me. And, and they had more. They had more. And they used it all against me until that fateful day. Again, two years to the day. In December, where I, my whole life was just, I realized my whole life was non-existent. Every happy memory I had was a facade. Everything I thought was real was fake. And I was like, shit, I left, I lived the whole life. That was, my whole career was based on lies. And now I realize that the only thing that was my anchor to reality was also a lie. That shattered me. And I was on my knees and I was like, all right. So if I blow my head off, I wonder if the SLGI for 400 grand still counts. Did I still get that? I know I have that. I know I have this. I know I have that. So I was actually calculating if my kids would get, right? If my kids would actually get money if I go. Like I was at that point. I had people that, um, you know, didn't offer me any monetary support, but they offered me uh, scene support. Like they helped me compartmentalize. Uh, they helped me focus on things. I wasn't getting any sleep. I remember that's the only time that in my whole life, I mean, there's many times that I've changed time zones. And even now, sometimes I get mixed up with the dates because I'm busy, but it was the only time that I kept thinking it was Friday for like five days, that it was the same, same thing, the same day that would just never end. I was not only attacked and persecuted and my family persecuted, but the people that were there that were supposed to protect me by law were there attacking me too and attacking my children. And I was thinking, okay, it's time to take my life. And it wasn't, and it's not something that I took lightly saying that and saying it out loud makes it sound really, what? But I was right there. It was a living nightmare because my reality was shattered. This is why I understand where everyone is right now. When your reality is shattered, there is no way you can come back from that the same. It's kind of like going through which the wardrobe in Narnia Anyone who goes in never comes back the same. And so for me, that was the point where I actually found my faith. Because I said to myself, okay, here's how it's going to work. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up. I'm going to have whatever I need and everything will be fine. And so uh, I was... I actually said that out loud. 
I got up. Guys, I wasn't even crying, right? I don't even remember crying. All I did was wail. I don't know if you guys have ever wailed in your life. Boy, there's going to be many doing it soon. But it is the most painful thing. And for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I have been so dumb. Because the minute I said that, within weeks, right? Everything happened as it needed. And from then on, I was like, I don't have to think about tomorrow. I I just know that it will be there if he wants it to. And I will have if he wants me to. And if he doesn't want me to have, I will have nothing because he can do everything. And so I know a lot of people have been in the position that I'm describing, not exact, right? All of us bear our own crosses and take our own weight on our shoulders. What I can hold on my shoulder doesn't mean you can hold. And what you can hold, I may not be able to. So in this period of time that we're at, and this is why it's important that we stay away from whatever the media is telling us, because all of you keep posting that shit in Telegram. You're like, well, you told us about this. Yes, I told you. So you have everything you need. What you need to be looking to is forward, not what's happening now, because the now already happened, because I told you it did. And I'm not saying it in a cocky way, but it was there. It's not news. What you should be asking yourself is, all right, how do we change tomorrow? Since yesterday already happened, and they're telling us about it today or tomorrow, the thing is, tomorrow hasn't happened, so what are we doing about tomorrow? And this is where you need to be strong in faith, whoever or however you envision God. Because if you think that you're an accident, you are, just like C.S. Lewis says, you can convince yourself to be stupid. You can convince yourself to not be able to fathom that a lion can sing and he can only roar. Lions do not have to roar. They can sing and they could dance if they want to. They could be elegant. They can use knives and forks. They could do whatever the fuck they want. Because just because they have the strength of a lion doesn't mean that they will tear everyone apart. So how can we change tomorrow? And the way we change tomorrow is by pointing out the problem of today. It is not the problem of the border. It is a problem, but it's not the main problem. Let me tell you how this works. The U.S. military has no, has absolutely no concessions for the Christian faith. The federal government has absolutely no concessions for the Christian faith. There are no exemptions under the Christian faith. The Christian faith has no exemption. We need to win this. When are you going to, when are you going to fight? When they want to implant you? Because your supermarkets are already getting that tag. Tori, stop. It's a QR code (laughs) for now. See, when are you going to stand up when they start beheading you? (laughs) Because like I said in my post, let's pretend I was at the pearly gates, right? And I was St. Peter and you're coming up and you're like, "Uh, I died in the name of Jesus. Well, you died because you were beheaded, but did you have to really wait that long? Why didn't you do anything before? Well, you know, I had a job and I was listening to Dr. So-and-so or, you know, so-and-so and I was following this post and that. And it's like, I was just really holding out for someone to come out and like fix all of this. What did you do? Yeah. So, um, you see how that conversation would go. See, whenever you make a choice, to sit back and not do something because there'll be someone else that comes in with the beheading. What did you do? Well, I wrote letters to my Senator. I, um, 
made phone calls to my senator. I wrote letters to Congress. I called them. And you know what I did? I joined in on this massive lawsuit that will be filed by the people. But that was after we all supported this one lieutenant colonel that went behind. And I told my pastors they better do it or else I'm going to stop, you know, going to church because my church is in my home. That's what I did. That's when the red carpet will be rolled out and said, you did everything in your power. Thank you. Please go ahead. They didn't have to wait for the slap in the face. The big difference. See, selflessness, selfishness, right? So all you have to do is prevent the pain that is to come. And how do you prevent it? You prevent it from ever fucking happening. And the way you do it is because if there is a military Christian exemption, the federal government must acknowledge it. And therefore, when you argue that I'm not getting chipped because it's against my religion, because that's the mark of the beast, guess what? You don't have to get chipped. But you don't fight this war now. You ain't going to fight it later. You're going to be dead. Your kids, you're probably going to be dead already. But your kids, they're going to be hungry. They're going to be broke. They're going to be living in sewers and eating garbage because you thought, well, that's not going to happen now, is it? See? See, this is how you fix things. You don't react to their actions. You actually act before they do. So if you look forward saying, all right, well, they're all talking about this chip tech and all this stuff and, uh, you know, mark of the beast. And that's where I draw the line. And it's like, sure, you'll draw the line and you'll live 10 years, a little bit struggling. There'll be a bit of revolution, but your kids will be eating out of trash because you couldn't get a Christian exemption. Now that you can, you wanted to wait till later when all the chips are stacked against you and then blood needs to be spilled you see how that works you don't have to wait until they do something you just fucking do it and say well i'm just gonna lay this out here because that's the way it is let me tell you something if i was a gay couple right i had you know a girlfriend and we have a bakery and i'm like i refuse to make heterosexual cakes do you think i'd be taken to the supreme court fuck no but I'm a Christian and don't want to make cakes for a Satanist, guess what? I'm already there. So how do you want to water your future? Oh, that's right. You don't want to water it. You want to wait until there's a chance of a seedling. Then you're going to, oh, wait, no. Maybe you wait until it sprouts and then you're going to want to water it. Or what if you want to wait till it's withered? How about you plant the fucking seed? You put the water now and make sure that it's on your terms. Right. Because all this common law and you being an independent citizen and all this stuff, that's gone. Because guess what? Other people were like, that'll never happen. Guess what? It did. So right now, what all of us should be doing is getting out there on the horn, talking to every single person we know and say, you know what? I don't care what religion you are, but every other religion in this nation gets exemptions for whatever it is, food, work. Did you know that if you're a Muslim and you're going through Ramadan, you get like light exercises or not be assigned to a post and shit? Yeah. And now women can wear hijabs in uniform. Why not? That's their religion. I'm more power to them. Then then why are they forcing Christians to put aborted baby cells in their body? Uh, That's not really a religion. 
uh, it's the foundation of this nation. Yeah, but it's not that strict. It fucking is. It's everywhere in the Bible. But the Pope says, fuck the Pope. I may be Catholic, says the person, but I don't agree with what he's doing. He's going against the Bible. Huh? You see how that goes? This is where you fight. This is where every single person, Muslims should be on our side. Jews should be on our side. Every single denomination, Pastafarians, Rastafarians, whatever the hell you want. Satanists should even be on our side. Shit. They have daycares. They should be on our side and say, well, freedom of choice. They have freedom of religion. I can have a Satanist after school. So can the Christians. That's the way it should be. See, because if you pick and choose say no, not for Satan and say, leave them alone. They could do whatever they want. None of your business. But how could you say that as a Christian? I'm the one that's going to judge them. Who the fuck are you judging them? That's the way it goes. Everyone should be on our side. Okay? Everyone should be on our side. Every single one. Everyone should be up in arms because this is the war that you must win to win all the other battles you are talking about. This is the only way you win. This is the only way you win. Huh? By fighting for him. By fighting for his words. And if he's not someone that you believe exists and you're a Jew, you're a Christian that doesn't believe in whatever, you believe in a pasta monster in the sky, you're a devil worshiper, whatever you are. The bottom line is, you get that right, so should we. That's fair. Because regardless how much pain, we can either make this go short or make this go long. The choice of how much pain you go through is up to you. Don't give me that shit. God, where was he with this? God didn't do that. You did. See, kind of like in the book that I told you to read, number six, right? The magician's nephew. What you should understand is what Aslan told him. Just go get the album, bring it here. I'm going to plant it for someone else. The boy had a choice. He could have taken that apple to his mom. And if he would have taken that apple to his mom, his mom may have lived forever, been a zombie, seen him die. She would have been tortured forever, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. And he might have died instantly by giving it to her. Who knows? Consequences, right? For choices. So you have a choice. You either fight now or you die fighting and keep others in misery. That's it. Let's keep it short. Let's fight it now. Create the foundations and God wins. Either way, he's going to win. That's the way it is. He doesn't have to pull his claws out. He wins. The thing is, you're going to have to want to win. And if you don't want to win now, huh, well, you may, you may be around in, in some really hot area waiting for the others to win it for you. Right? He owns down the line. Regardless, he wins. So we must all make sure that we address the Christian persecution. We must all make sure that we are behind this 1 million percent, no matter what denomination of religion you are at. And we must make sure that anyone that sit there and thumps, oh, look at me, I'm a Christian. Verse so-and-so, where are you Christian behind people who are fighting for their right to be Christians? Where are you? Well, you know, the vaccine. Okay, you took the vaccine. Fair enough. You were okay with taking aborted fetal cells. Okay. And you will have to answer to that. 
That's okay. That is your cross to bear. But the Bible says this, and they have every right to refuse it. Don't hate on them and leave them hanging because you made a bad choice. That makes you even worse. So again, call them all out. and Get everyone to circle the wagons around people that are actually fighting for religious freedom because that's what really counts right now. Do we all get freedom or is it just selective? See, this is how the revolution happens. So on that note, guys, God bless. I'll probably do some locals tomorrow if I can. Much love. Do not comply with the institutions. Sick illusion. No, it won't be televised. Welcome to the revolution. We will not comply with the institutions. Sick illusion. No, it won't be televised. Welcome to the revolution. The revolution won't be televised, government been telling lies If you're not with us, you better step aside Witnessing the genocide, everything is centralized The food that we consume and they spraying it all with pesticides Easily identify the sheep and the snake The real and the fake, giving us a reason to pray I'ma make my own choices, a voice for the voices They trying to destroy us, avoiding the poison It's all pointless if you don't have a purpose If you read the verses, you'll know who we versing Government can tell you what your worth is, look deeper than the surface They don't even want you researching or asking questions We all being tested, Shh. Shut your mouth, they comply, that's the message. Want you to press on prescriptions that mess with your head, got you stressing, suppressing expression. We will not comply. And now for a bonus segment. I just wanted to say, I know that I've been right on a lot of things. And I know I said I will own Infowars. Now that was paraphrasing. I find no pleasure in what is to happen. And what is to come? Recompense is never, ever something that you wish on another. But it is how you maintain balance. And the saying, you reap what you sow, usually that's true. But God can forgive you if you redeem yourself. Remember that. Never fear when your heart is in the right place. We just got to make God cool again. Pray for Alex Jones. Pray for everyone. Pray for them. But not me. I'm sorry. On behalf of the people that preaching that you are a fraud. You got me. You got me. I will always live and die for you. Quit getting high for you. Quit telling lies for you. Society make me cry for you. They keep demonizing you and politicizing you and criticizing you. Still weaponizing you. Tell me what am I to do to open their minds? I'm trying to show them the light, but I know that they blind. If you look around you, you will see God's visible. I've seen miracles. God shouldn't be political. It's not left or right wing. Not a black or white thing. I know you'll get me through any single struggle my life brings. I stumble for a little, but my faith still remains. They using you as a weapon nowadays. It's insane. You help me through the pain. You get me through the rain. You always keep me humble when I change through the fame. Trying to silence the discussion. I don't trust the government. Without faith, we suffer it. Without it, we have nothing. Politicians on a mission to make you hate your religion and run away from tradition and put your trust in the system. When things go wrong in their life, they want to blame you. I hope people praying still, regardless who they, they praise. Pray. 